0: <laughs> what was that? The London Press Awards Scoop of the Year. Letter from Sarah Brown, Gordon Brown's wife, who was then called Sarah McCauley. I think I was there when they first met, and you thought there was a bit of a spark between them. Postcards, postcards. This is like Tutankhamun's tomb. That was the opening of the dome. It's one of the worst nights of my life. Oh, it's a picture of me. Alan Raspirscher, his editor, stands dishevelled in a lounge suit and dress shirt somewhere on the edge of the room. He utters a few words. This
1: is the biggest story in the world.
0: I was thinking I had six days left but I've only got five because I'm off on Monday.
1: As Alan packs up his boxes, we'll be taking a look back at his final legacy piece, The Climate Change Project.
0: Well, I'm a terrible hoarder, so I've got 20 years of bits of paper and the combination of a hoarder and not having a good memory. I'm remembering all kinds of things that happened in the last 20 years that I'd completely forgotten. It's it's quite strange. Mm -hmm. Andrew Mara gave myself a week to let the new design settle in. The first impressions are right. It's very nice indeed. The paper feels calmer, more authoritative, and also
1: chunkier. You remember back in January, the editor had an epiphany. Climate change was the biggest threat to humanity. With five months left, he took this as his final crusade, a mission to make the world care about this subject and ideally enact some political change along the way too.
0: I think I went into this, you know, with two ways of thinking. One was the sort of moral issue, that this is one of the sort of great moral causes of our times, and and the other which was just such a professional thing. You know, somebody who spent his life in journalism. Why couldn't journalism succeed with this subject? Why, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't journalism engage in, with the intensity and seriousness that this deserves?
1: Now, time is up. With a cherry-picked team and an audience of 120 million, what exactly has been achieved? Yeah. Well, welcome everyone. The purpose of
2: today is to talk through how far we've come, what we think we've achieved, maybe a few things that we might have done differently or better. As Alan cleans his office,
1: the rest of the team gather a floor up (laughs) to debrief.
2: I thought it would probably be handy to start off by just hearing from Adam and then Amanda about some of the kind of basic stats.
3: Well, we've been pretty busy. Uh, we've published nearly 200 pieces of content, articles, and interactives, and uh, other bits and bobs since we started in March, and we've clocked nearly six million page views for a lot of it. Yeah, so, okay. yeah, pretty pretty good on the whole. And Amanda,
2: what? Tell us about the sort of engagement.
4: Mm-hmm. We're now at about 203,000 people have signed the petition, and of those, about 120,000 of asked for guardian campaign updates hundreds also wrote letters that they sent to the welcome trust about 5500 people in just the last 2 weeks have said they're interested in personal divestment
2: Aaron your team has done some quite innovative things in this uh, in the course of this yeah it? i
5: mean i think the campaign has has pointed us in some interesting directions some of the things we did say with like alex and the design team the first rolling thunder launch. That was pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was pretty cool. (laughs) We own your browser. Alex. I I mean, I I think what's been really exciting its really more powerful, more broadly for the organization
2: as well, is we've actually learned so much about how to tell difficult, complex stories. And and I think we've needed a really close-knit, tight team. And I think we've been really successful with that.
1: Glowing self-appraisal. But let's be crystal clear before we write the report card. What exactly was the aim? Journalism has a tendency to leap straight in without setting out exactly what they want to achieve. Is that the case here?
2: I think the aims of the project right at the start were to try and reinvent the journalism around climate change so that people would start to pay attention to it. On one level, the aim of the campaign was clear. It was to make the case to the Wellcome Trust and the Gates Foundation about divestment and to try and persuade them to move their policies in a public way. But broader than that, it was about trying to sort of turbocharge this amazing movement that's out there at the moment the divestment movement. And so the campaign was only really part of that.
1: So the overall aim here is to find a new narrative for climate change. But how the hell do you measure that?
6: What excites me about Keep It in the Ground is that the impact is gonna be measured not by the metrics we're all using in media now. Instead, the impact here is, did a change occur? And at the end of the day, Um, we have to start measuring the impact of journalism as to whether or not we improve people's lives.
1: Jeff Jarvis is professor of digital journalism at CUNY in New York. Jeff spends his time overlooking global trends in the media, doing his own report cards. He's been following The Guardian's campaign from the states, and for him, the whole criteria for how The Guardian's success is judged could be wrong.
6: I'm looking at a journalism that moves from measuring itself and making its business on volume to one that, that justifies itself on its value. Because um, I'd like to see us move past the idea of just having volume for volume sake. What that inevitably leads to is lists of cats. It leads to clickbait. That's not the kind of journalism that The Guardian wants to do.
2: Very often the things that you can measure are quite crude, the number of clicks, all of that stuff. And obviously, you know, it's great when a story does 100,000 hits or, you know, a million hits, whatever it is. At the same time, that doesn't mean that the story that only does 10,000 is a complete failure.
6: Journalism has to get out of the idea that it's a content factory and to understand that it is a service. And you can't know what people need accomplished unless you go and talk to them, unless you know them as individuals. So we can't serve people until we know them. And uh, that's difficult, and that's an entirely new skill, I think, for journalists. And from
1: the petition, that's one thing this campaign has started to do. Now, to give them credit, The Guardian has always tried to be at the forefront of community relations, online or off. The tendency, however, has been to respond, rather than to drive the journalism. For this campaign, has it done anything
4: new? So, you know, everyone who signed the petition was asked um, in a simple form for ideas for the campaign. And one of our petition signers um, from Denmark um, strongly recommended that we cover the island of SAMHSA, which is pioneered energy independence. And you know, we read his suggestion, and we read dozens, if not hundreds more from other readers, asking us to report on energy solutions, you know, what's actually happening in the world, not just the doom and gloom. And so James commissioned a piece on SAMHSA that ran on The Guardian in mid-May. Uh,
7: Anna? And another example from um, a reader in Alberta. She was Uh, asking her financial advisor to provide her with carbon-free options. And he was basically just ignoring her and, and saying it wasn't possible. And then when she told him about the Guardian's campaign and sent him links, he took it to the executive board.
6: I think that the bigger question in the long run for the Guardian and the environment is how it not only tries to start its own community, tribe, and membership around this campaign, but instead how it goes to the communities that already exist around this issue and uh, brings journalistic value to them and their work. We in journalism have to get better at that. So we have to see keeping the ground as just a first step and a means of now listening to people. And I think we can increase the, the, the discipline of listening now.
1: But does this mean letting the paper out for hire paper lives or dies on its reputation
2: what do you think Aaron from a, from an American perspective because because this this kind of discussion would if it feels like it would not happen at the New York Times is there a danger I mean just to ask the hard question is there a danger that the the perception is that we're writing or editing our stories differently I mean do you do you think that people in America who are coming from a different journalistic tradition are now viewing the Guardian differently
5: and perhaps less well, I know they are in fact in fact a lot of my, you know, former colleagues and, and people I know in the States have asked me about how I feel, whether I'm comfortable with it, you know, and, and my answer is not only am I comfortable with it, I find it kind of liberating um, as, a, as a journalist being able to say, here's a piece of journalism, but here's also what you can do. Here's how you can take action.
1: So an A-plus for engagement. But does this really tell the story of climate change in a new way? Newspapers have campaigned before
0: I think because the subject itself is viewed by some people as controversial. Um, so you do a campaign on female genital mutilation, in a way that's not controversial. You know, who could be for that? Climate change, for whatever reason, is, is seen as a controversial subject. And so therefore some people think that it's the duty of media to be you know, objective and impartial and not take a side. Uh, And I think it has surprised some people that a newspaper would be so bold as to uh, take a
6: side and say, well, we believe in the science.
1: So a good, possibly novel idea, but was it a success?
6: I think in this case, there's an advantage and a danger in the measurement. Okay, I I
2: want to just talk a little bit specifically about Gates and Wellcome.
6: Did you or did you not convince Gates and Wellcome to divest of oil stocks?
2: So they have not made a move so far. In a way, we broke the golden rule of a newspaper campaign, which is to know you're going to win it before you start. If by the end of June there is no movement, is that is that a problem? Does it sort of matter? I mean, I mean, we have to be realistic in that you know we're talking sort of three months to make a dramatic change. I think we shouldn't. We shouldn't be discouraged by. The fact that, you know, we haven't in three months, we haven't got people to divest billions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel? Yeah, I, think,
0: I mean, I think Alex is absolutely right. It's kind of early days. I don't, I don't think we should uh, give up by any stretch. You know, it might take them a year to get around. They probably only meet three times a year, you know.
6: Well, the question I've been dying to ask about the campaign is was there any prior conversation before publishing? Uh, with the targets, with welcome and Gates, where they warned what was coming. By setting this on just two foundations, you set yourself up for one definition of failure.
3: I mean, the counter to that really is the obvious one, that it, there was no evidence that they were even looking at it. So, I mean, I think at least it's on on the radar. I mean, you know, we could have chosen, and I'm going to do a bit of, like, I, I said this earlier <laughs> on. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry, I can't help it. But, no, we could have chosen someone like the Church of England, who we knew were... Uh, on the brink of doing this, you know, and yes, we could have claimed that as a a victory, you know, now they have pulled out of thermal car and tar sands, but arguably we've done the braver, bolder thing.
1: No matter how you dance around it, it doesn't really look that good. How does the editor feel about it?
0: I hope somewhere in your archives you would have find, find a piece of tape of me at the beginning saying that, and uh, you know, I wasn't sure that they would in the time frame, you know, because I mean the Guardian Media Group moved incredibly quickly but I think most people would, you know, have to go through a process of, of diligence and discussion, um, so I, I, I wasn't sure going into this that we would persuade them in the timescale scale available to, to do it and I never set that up as a personal measure of success.
8: And how do we persuade our readers that that's not a failure?
0: Uh, well, I, I think that the campaigning bit of it has been a small element of what we've been doing. And Most of that content has not been directly appealing um, to uh, Gates and welcome. Most of it has been using this as a way of getting into the subject. So it's been a prism, um, so um, um, I hope nobody just judges it on the narrow thing of whether these two institutions have yet decided to change their stance.
1: It's true. We checked the archive, and Alan originally just said he wanted people to sit up and pay attention. The project has been more than just the campaign. And its success should be judged on more than just welcome and Gates divesting. So perhaps there are other ways to gauge success here.
6: Next, you go to measures of impact, I think, around the conversation that's occurring. Did you affect the conversation? Did you see a change in the attitude about the idea of divestment of petroleum companies?
3: I can't really think back of an example in the last six years where where we have led rivals' coverage quite so much on on a issue around climate change, like FT reporters, you know, ringing up 15 organisations to ask them what their view is on divestment. You know, I mean, that's that is because of us.
0: I've seen it in places like on MTV, you know, uh, where
2: you wouldn't really expect it. Th-
1: and it's not just pieces written about the Guardian's campaign we're talking about. Media organizations are now getting together to share real, solid content.
2: Bieler, do you want to say a little bit about that? What, what is it, who's involved and, uh, and what it means?
9: So, um, we've teamed up with the Global Editors Network. Um, to partner with about 25 other newsrooms around the world. That includes European newspapers like Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, El País, and Le Presse in Canada. There's like a long list of newsrooms, and basically we've agreed to share content, share articles related to climate change, and we'll republish theirs or link to their articles too. The media world has
1: taken note then, but what about the divestment movement? One of the aims of picking this campaign was to boost exactly that. What does the granddaddy of divestment, Bill McKibben, think?
6: The last three months have probably been the most dynamic part of this whole divestment campaign uh, around the world, and especially in the UK, which I credit directly to uh, not only the wonderful work of campaigners on the ground, but the work that The Guardian's done to watch in quick succession Uh, the Church of England and Oxford and SOAS and so many other places announced that they were beginning in one form or another to divest from fossil fuel is to understand that this has reached the, um, the tipping point to the place where elites and establishments, not just us crazy campaigners, are understanding that the physics of climate change demands that we not continue as before. I think it's been a remarkable few months.
1: And in fact, divestment does seem to have shifted the climate change debate right out of the environment ghetto.
0: I think people who began, you know, maybe six months ago were thinking this was a a left vegetarian uh, (laughs) (laughs) issue uh, for muesli eaters, Um, have woken up thinking actually this is, this, is a, this is about real money, it's about real things. Uh, and I think, uh, I would guess, the smarter money in the city is beginning to think uh, long-term uh, about whether this is good stuff to be invested in or not. And that's, that's obviously you know, way beyond the left-right issue.
1: But does any of this noise translate? Is it going to keep it in the ground? Are the bigwigs even listening?
0: I'm, I'm meeting Al Gore tomorrow. Does he still count as a politician? Um, I mean, I've met people at the Bank of England. I've met people at the um, UN. Uh, I've spoken to people at the World Bank. So there are, there are quite a lot of people in the sort of central banking sphere for whom this is uh, absolutely on their radar and a big risk. So, I mean, We were wrong by Christian Figueres, who is the Costa Rican diplomat at the UN who is leading these talks. Um, and she rang me on my mobile and said,
10: I think you definitely have. You've raised awareness um, about, uh, in, in particular, about the relationship between the financial system and how, what is the impact of that on solving climate change.
0: How important is the media in setting the tone of the debate?
10: I think the media is critically important, not just, not just because I'm talking to you, Ellen, <laughs> but, uh, but the media is, is really critically important. Those of us inside of this process uh, can stand up and, 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 and talk at I don't know how many events, but we do not have the reach that, uh, that the media has. So, you know, I always think about the media as being the most powerful megaphone. Uh, you can educate I think a very, very important responsibility of media is to educate, educate on the science. Uh, And I think this is one very, very critical point that the media can no longer afford the luxury to miseducate on the science of of climate. And what is perhaps most exciting is uh, finally uh, we are now at the point of systemic change when regulators Uh, and the systemically important financial institutions begin to take the risk on board and begin to make decisions, that is when we are at a systemic level. And that really, that impetus has happened only in the past few months. And it is in that enabling environment that the Paris Agreement will be negotiated and agreed. Encouragement then
1: from the UN. But in practical terms, what does this mean? will the politicians regulate? Baroness Bryony Worthington sits in the House of Lords. I
8: think it's achieved uh, a huge amount in terms of uh, getting climate change back into the public discourse in in probably a much more mainstream way. If you look around the world, really, there's an awful lot of things that are happening on the ground that make you feel like, you know, things are changing. The pace of development of clean technology, uh, even the fall in the price of oil, that the whole existing Uh, oligopoly of of fossil fuel companies is basically being eaten away at so you know i am personally feeling quite optimistic we're making progress not as fast as we should be but you know the tide is with us at the moment i think as to whether it's had an impact on paris i think that's a really hard aim to have set for yourselves (laughs) ultimately the negotiation will unfold and it will be complex there'll be many issues there'll be a lot of horse trading and even if you're the President of the United States, you know, you're not certain of the outcome. It won't have hurt, certainly won't have hurt. Whether it will have uh, directly influenced the Paris outcome, I doubt it, actually, if I'm truly honest.
0: Well, it's it's terribly difficult for one news organization to do it on its own, and one, one encouraging thing is the, 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 the um, coalition of, of news organizations that we've put together this week. Imagine yourself as a politician, Trying to gear themselves up for the for the profound changes that are going to be required, and that it's really difficult as a politician. I mean, you know, you have to have sympathy for them that, that they're going to have to deliver some very uncomfortable messages over the years to come. If the media plays no part in, in informing the public, I think that makes the life of a politician really difficult. But we are, you know, if it's, if it's just the Guardian, then that won't have enough. That won't be enough.
1: final thoughts from the climate team
3: Damien no sorry I was getting ready work. to leave Are we okay
2: that is quite a good moment to move to my final question which is to <laughs> to each of you individually um, what is your campaign highlight or project highlights uh, and low lights so you know what, what what went well and what went less well the the best moment for me was uh when gnm divested so when the guardians um commercial board decided to divest because up to that point i, w- I actually really thought that decision would go in the other direction and i thought at that point w- you know the whole we'd be cut off at the knees and the whole thing would you know would just be destroyed by um arguments and claims of of hypocrisy and probably justifiably so um the thing I think we should have done differently is we should have started earlier. Um, <laughs> you know, we 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 did a lot of talking about it around December, and then it took a while to really get into gear. And actually, uh, if we'd if we'd started moving at the beginning of January, uh, it would have felt like a bit less of a rush. Emma, uh,
7: it would have to be G divesting, as you say. My low light uh, <laughs> would probably be uh, going on the climate march. Um, the weekend that we launched and uh, being ready to talk to th- loads of people for who would know about the campaign because we deliberately launched it on that day uh, with a print run so everybody on the march could have a copy and then of course the printers there was a mess up at the printers and then I came back home and, um, <laughs> and my housemate uh, had got very confused and hadn't really looked at the paper properly and thought that the front cover was an advert and so we taken it off and put it in the bin Um <laughs> So that was <laughs> that was a bad day. Don't
5: tell Anthony Gormley that. No.
7: <laughs>
5: the highlight for me is just uh, the way this team is works. Having something this, you know, broad. Having you know people from marketing involved. Having people. I mean, it just it, it just doesn't happen in newsrooms, and it, and it should. I mean, it just shows you what what we can do. You know, what's passable. I'm sat around the table here with people I probably
0: would never have met, you know, in my entire career at The Guardian, had it not been for this. Nabila?
9: Um, I think, you know, you have these sort of, like, stagnant Facebook or Twitter populations and watching just such a diverse range of people come together and react to a Guardian article that you've posted. I'm not the kind of person who gets people arguing about ethical bank accounts. Um, you know, on their walls or stuff. But seeing, seeing people talk about that and care about it and, and watching them come together and, and, you know, react to that, I think has been quite powerful. It's true The Guardian was
1: never going to solve climate change in just five months, but it did achieve some things. So let's go back to the report card and tally up exactly what it did manage. The big aim, remember, was to find a new way to tell the climate story, which would make people engage meaningfully. The divestment movement was certainly a new take, even if its targets didn't budge. Some fancy new tricks were tried out, too. Personalized interactives, wraparound newspaper covers designed by a Turner Prize-winning artist. And the campaign model has opened up a whole new way of collaborating with the readers.
4: I personally would like The Guardian as a whole to think of its readership in this way. Not every call to action or campaign will be of interest to everyone, but I think the repeat and frequent engagement does make us um, smarter and it means the campaign is an inclusive campaign.
1: Even this podcast was a bit of an experiment.
8: How has it been having microphones pointing at you all the way through it?
1: Uh, well, I, I've
2: got used to it slightly, um, but it's, it's still tricky. It's particularly tricky with the way, the way that journalists talk in an office is not necessarily way, the way you want it to be portrayed outside the office. You know, it just feels like a, a very harsh spotlight to be thrown on some very ill-formed ideas, really.
8: Do you think it changed the way that people were communicating or the ideas that were coming out?
2: I think I'd be lying if I said it didn't change the way people talk because inevitably you, you, can't, you start to try and second-guess yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, it's inevitably when people have a microphone in their face they, they feel like they have to perform. But the, but the, the original idea behind it of, of saying,
0: well, here, here we are, we're kind of, kind of open-source what we're doing, so we're going to let you behind the scenes into the discussions has been, you know, almost no newspapers ever do that. So particularly if you're launching a campaign, you know, we, we are launching a campaign. This is how we're going to do it. This is our voice now. We're up. going to shut down all debates. Yeah, because there's one line. And yeah. somebody came to me early on and said, uh, aha, it's interesting listening to your podcast because it shows that you've had differences. <laughs> and you say, yeah, of course we are. You know, we're, we're human beings. We, this is a, that's what a newspaper proper newspaper is. You have a discussion. You don't all
1: agree, um, but we're not ashamed to um, do that. But is all this enough? We've added it all up. Do we draw the line here?
0: Well, you know, it, was, it was interesting talking to Harold Evans, the great campaigning editor of the uh, of the Sunday Times in the 70s and 80s, um, who said, "I always quote." Horace
3: Greeley, the New York famous editor, who said the moment a newspaper man is tired of his
7: campaign is the moment the public is just beginning to notice it.
0: Maybe even your own staff are bored of the campaign. That's when it really begins to have uh, the effect. So you you do have to uh, have the stamina. So I, I, I would like it um, to carry on. You know, I think it's just beginning to have uh, an effect Um and to ripple into places where which are going to be really important. Yeah.
2: So uh, we've got an opportunity to take stock and move forward with uh Kath Viner taking over as the editor in chief. The first question is, you know, do we continue? Is there a sort of phase 2? And if there is, what what does that look like? Silence. <laughs> <laughs> the million dollar question. <laughs>
3: Oh, Adam, good. Uh, I guess there's I one word answer to that, really, and that's calf. Do you want to just tell me what
8: you had for breakfast? Um, I had porridge today, actually. <laughs> <laughs> So, of course, the Guardian's climate change project doesn't end here. Absolutely not. Um, it's really important that we keep it going. Um, I think it's been a really impressive project, uh, had great influence all around the world. Um, and what we need to do now is think about how we what we do next, how we do it in new and interesting ways. Um meeting the team soon, I hope to brainstorm ideas about how we what we can do next, what the next target should be and uh, how we should be preparing for Paris. I'm hoping to do that in the next couple of weeks um, and I'm hoping it'll be a very sort of creative uh, process where we think of new ways to do it.
0: So um, I, you know I don't of course I don't want to advise Kath on how she should do it or tie her hands in any way but I would just say to her there is something rather magical here and a fantastic. Team, some of whom I think feel this has been the project of their journalistic lives. You know, this has been something. You know, or anybody, people who go into journalism thinking, I really want to change things. Uh, I want to go into journalism because I, I think there's a there's a public interest in 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 journalism. You know, the, gosh, you couldn't find more of a public interest in something something more important than this. But I think the challenge as journalists that we have thrown down to other journalists is, uh, what are you going to do, what have you done, Uh, what in 20 years time will you be able to say you spent in your career, or don't you think it's that important, don't you think it's really a very important issue. We've answered that in our way in the last five months, and let's see how other journalists rise to that challenge over the coming years.
8: What are you doing after next week?
0: <laughs> uh, i've been scanning the um day- daytime t v j- um, channels um i'm thrilled to see Countdown is still on um no i'm i'm going to uh i mean june will be i'm i i want to go back to reporting um i want, I want to do some proper journalism again um with, with the time to do it uh and, and then in september i i um, start unpacking all my boxes in, in Oxford and I'm going to have this sort of mixed life of running in Oxford College, St. Lady Margaret Hall in uh, Oxford, uh, of uh, journalism and of uh, running the Scott Trust. What's that? That is, that's the Sunday business. It's a paper that doesn't exist anymore. Um, well, that's a opera program.
1: So that's it from series one. We hope you enjoyed it. We feel lucky to have been allowed behind the scenes for so many private conversations. If you haven't listened to the whole series, do go back. Our part of the biggest story in the world is now over. Though the story continues. That is, once Alan has finished packing his boxes.
0: That is a, <laughs> that is a bunch of flowers from Piers Morgan with the affectionate message I hope you choke on it well, I done to upset him
1: um. I'm Alex Kratowski, who's been leading you through Alana Chance, Nabila Shabir, Matt Hill Lucy Greenwell, Harriet Green have been producing throughout Jason Phipps runs the audio team and Francesca Panetta she makes the cake
0: this is a school report A-level music A.C. Rusperger, he has been very argumentative and contradictory this term. A certain degree of intellectual independence is quite healthy for a boy of his age, but when it comes to dismissing large numbers of facts as irrelevant and bringing in every type of specious argument to try and disprove them, I feel he has overstepped the mark. Had his written work been better, there would have been some sort justification, but his work has been generally of rather poor quality and frequently missing altogether. Well, there you go. and that put me in my place